Each week, we listen to great technology leaders come on this podcast and share their advice. Now it's time to apply it. We've created a leadership program made specifically for technologists. Watch each week as your people take action and apply this advice and watch it all through leadership analytics. Visit leaderbits.io to enroll your directors and VPs in the highest quality leadership training program in the galaxy. That's leaderbits.io. Now, get excited because today we are talking to Richard Billington, the CTO of Matsoft, and we discuss advice for CTOs going through the acquisition process, hiring people who are better than you, and the importance of retaining homegrown talent. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Nice. So it's the end of your day, huh? End of the day. Yeah, I thought we'd uh, squeeze in a little conversation before leaving the office. Sun's shining. It's looking quite nice out there, so all good. That's awesome. Yeah. So what, what are you, what did you do today? How did your day go? Um, bit of everything. Um, we're really busy at the moment. We're just about to release the next version of our platform. So, um, it's all sort of hands to the deck there. We've got, um, some penetration testing lined up for next week. So we're just trying to ensure that we're code complete and all of our testing scripts and what have you all signed off and we're good to go. Nice. And you're in what part of the UK? Um, so I'm in a place called Bedford, which is about uh, sort of 75 miles north of London, um, just between Oxford and Cambridge. So yeah, pretty good location. A lot of uh, tech companies out of this way, mainly because of those big universities. Nice. There's a penetration company called Netitude that has locations out there. Have you ever come across them? Well, I know Netitude very well. Um, yeah. Yeah, my best man at my wedding is one of their lead posters, been with them from almost day one. Um, and I know um, the owners, uh, I actually organised my best friend Stag Do, and the owner came on the Stag Do. So yeah, I know them quite well. We've used them ourselves a few times. Um, but the most recent tests are being conducted by somebody else because we'd, we'd used Netitude a few times. And I always think it's good practice not just to keep using the same company, just in case there's any sort of assumptions that they might make that maybe a new company wouldn't and therefore your testing might be they might pick up something that was otherwise missed so uh, we're using someone different this time but well recommend them they're a good company to use yeah i met them a couple months ago i flew out to new york i was working on a project and they were the ones doing the penetration testing for a security product oh that's very interesting yeah, yeah. they're super nice everybody was really cool they were at a giant uh we work up in manhattan in new york and it they really cool offices and great people. So and right when you said penetration testing, I thought of them. They've done really well. Um, they've, they've grown significantly, and I believe they've just been sort of brought out or taken investment as well. So yeah, they're um, they're, they're a good company. Good company. So I've got it. I want you to explain low code to me because I love this. When I saw the website and started reading it, I was like, this is brilliant. I love I love that they have this term. Is that something you guys created? No, not at all. Um, have you, I'm sure you've heard of Forrester, the, the research. Yeah. So they refer to this sort of market segment as low code, whereas um, Gartner referred to it as high productivity application platform as a service. Mm -hmm. So most people tend to go with low code. It's just that much easier to say if nothing else. Um, but effectively, they are the sort of rapid application development environments of old. So whereas um, you know previously you might have had to install uh, a RAD client and you'd have set up some architecture that was going to run uh, that was going to run it for you, now it's all sort of delivered via the cloud and is way easier as a result. But conceptually, at least, they're very similar. It's all around uh, getting applications stood up quicker without the need for sort of traditional development, where maybe you don't have the the team or the budgets to go out and, and buy that kind of resource in. That was a great explanation. I'm really curious to know this. I believe you're the third guest that has brought up this BPM software. And I have, just to be blunt, I haven't figured out this BPM software thing. Can you, can you give me an introduction to it? Because I, I just keep seeing it come up. It's not going away. And I don't, 
super get it. Okay, so I mean, it fills a gap. You know, you've got, I think I saw some report actually by um, the US Department of Labor that says there's going to be like 1.2 million development jobs that are going to be unfilled by 2020. Um, and, you know, all of the research analysts will point to a huge digital skills shortage. So what do you do about that? You know, we need to train more people up. We need to maybe change the syllabus uh, in colleges, high schools, universities to ensure that we're getting a, a larger number of developers through. But that's all going to take time. So these platforms are designed to bridge the gap between what the business knows that they want but what IT aren't able to deliver them because they just haven't got the resource to get it done. So it's all you know, web-based. Um, clearly there's a learning curve and some training required for anyone to use them. But conceptually at least, it's a bit like using WordPress to build your website. You, know, you can use these low-code platforms to build business applications. And they won't be the, the only choice or the right choice for every kind of application that you might need to build, but they're certainly going to fill a gap where you just can't get it done any other way. And we're seeing them used for you know, larger and larger projects. Um, the, the market segment itself is getting invested into in a huge way. I mean, there was uh, one of our sort of more traditional competitors, um, OutSystems, took a £360 million, million dollar investments by Goldman Sachs and, and KKR last week. So, you know, there is a lot of interest in the space. It's being talked up hugely by the analysts uh, in terms of a growth sector. And therefore, I suppose that sparks interest from the investment community. You've been around this product world like quite a while, correct? Yeah, we, um, we sort of built what is now the Matt's low code platform um, about well, the first iterations were like 11, 12 years ago. But at that point, they weren't really the sort of platform that we know now. We, we, we sort of developed a, a code base that could be used for anyone who needed to map and manage a business process. And um, that was the forerunner to the platform that we know now. We rebuilt it about five, six years ago and just said, look, what we've got is obviously great, but it's more of a, a shared code base than a sort of traditional platform that you can just install and, and build applications upon. And we could see that the market was heading that way and thought, yeah, this is, this is the right time to sort of take all that learning, but technically at least rebuild from the ground up. And I think that's sort of set us in really good stead versus some of the competitors that have come onto the space since, like, you know, Mendix, OutSystems, Appian is, is another good one that um, IPO'd, I think it was last year, and has, um, has grown ever since. Do you remember when they had these small, this is, this is probably like uh, 10, 15 years ago, they had these small um, utilities for developers that would help them. There'd be like a GUI for creating little applications. And it was sort of like the, the preview to this whole industry. Little plug and play utilities that got you so far that did an element of what you might need, but weren't able to sort of produce you an entire end-to-end -end application. And I think most of the competitors in our space have, have evolved from that in some way. And I think they've then seen the gap in the market for something that is sort of all-encompassing in terms of a business application and have then fleshed that out and built upon it. And yeah, that's what we're seeing in the market today. It's amazing because I, I love that it should be simple. You know, I haven't looked at it and I came across those tools when I was looking at alternatives when people would need me to do projects or need something from me. And I, you know, since I've started writing code 17 years ago, like it's been incredibly in demand, right? So I've never had an issue with getting work, writing code. My biggest issues are usually figuring out how to direct someone in the right area, right? Like, oh, I can't help you, but you should go do this. And so I had explored those tools quite a bit to try to give like some smart people say, hey, you probably want this sort of drag and drop and then it produces PHP code or whatever, maybe. But this looks like it's just this whole sector is just appearing to me out of nowhere. When did this low code word come up? I mean, it has to be in the past five years, right? It was about five years ago. Though. Okay, good. So I'm not that I'm not getting that far out of it, right? <laughs> um, and you know, I think you're right. As a coder, 
you're not going to be out of a job anytime soon. I mean, the demand for coding, I don't know, you know, specifically in the US, we're obviously UK based and I see a lot more um, in, in Europe in terms of the companies that are looking to use us because they just can't get the talents. But uh, assuming it's similar in the US, then good coders are at a premium and there just aren't enough of them. And there's so much that people want to do. And then you get an evolution like blockchain and loads of good developers switching, you know, over to um, other technologies because they're in demand. And suddenly if you want .NET development or Java development or PHP development, you've maybe lost 10% of your workforce that are now picking up blockchain development instead. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge to find good people to deliver the kind of, you know, digital services that everyone just expects these days. Right. And I don't mind it a whole lot. <laughs> right. Because it's just job security. Like I'm a, I'm a Ruby developer. I, I spent the last seven, seven years in Ruby. Before that, I spent six or seven years in PHP. And before that, I was doing more of the low, like low code literally in the stack. But yeah, it, it's a great, like I was talking about it with my wife. We go on these walks with our, our little girl. And I said, you know, it's a great feeling to know that if I ever want to make a change or do anything directionally in my life, that I always have that skill. It's like that ability, that capability. And then you got your start in web development and now you're the CTO, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. So I want you to describe to me that transition, how it happened. And then, you know, we, we know the struggle of like learning the soft skills and thinking differently because you're thinking like you tell a computer to do something and it does it. You tell a person to do something and there's a whole person aspect. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's the, the challenge. I mean, I've, I've read your book and there's obviously a, a chapter on it in that book about, you know, do, does a developer make a good CTO or you know, can you be a CTO without a development background? And I, I would imagine, I mean, you've obviously interviewed a lot of CTOs. There's probably a mix, right? There's some that have come from development and some that are maybe just understand technology. You know, I was a, developer first and foremost, almost fell into it really. Um, I joined an organization as a sort of systems administrator and it was right at the point where everyone was getting involved in the internet and wanted intranets. So our company said, right, we need an intranet. Um, who's going to build it? We didn't have the skills internally. So I just went and brought an ASP book, you know, the, the, the old fashioned ASP, not even, you know, .NET, ASP or anything like that. And um, just built an internet and thought, actually, I, I really enjoy this. This is way more interesting than, um, you know, installing antivirus on, on computers right. and all of that. So, you know, I want to get involved in development um, instead. So um, picked up ASP, uh, found another job doing that, then moved into PHP just because there was somebody hiring and um, sort of stuck with PHP really. I've dabbled in other languages, but that's primarily what I've done and joined uh, the company that I'm now, Matsoft, and that was at the point where they had this shared code base. It was all around understanding business requirements and then modifying the code base to meet that and, and deploying the application. And that really exposed me to customers, to capturing requirements, to going out and, and demoing what I'd done. And I think that really at that point was invaluable in sort of in increasing those um, soft skills, those people skills that you need if you're going to manage a team. And as we grew, um, I sort of worked my way up, if you like, uh, led a team, became head of development. And then at the point uh, the organization needed it and at the point of a sort of restructure, I became a CTO. That's amazing. And how large is the company and then how many people are in technology? So um, Matsoft grew to about 65 people and we were actually acquired last year. So 65 people at that point of which about 45 to 50 would have been in technology. So we were very lean. You know, we had some sales and some marketing, some HR and some finance, but we were primarily a technology company and um, we didn't really advertise. You know, we picked up some very big customers in the UK that really drove other customers to us um, that just heard about what we were doing through industry events and so on. Um, that led to some interest in terms of investments or acquisition. And um, in August last year, we uh, were acquired by an organization called Netcall that have a sort of um, largely telephony based business. They do contact centers. They've moved more recently to the cloud, so sort of cloud based contact centers. 
And there's a lot of um, synergies there that will allow us to sort of cross-sell the business applications into those contact center software customers and vice versa. Um, so we're about 250 people now in total, which for a UK software business is is large. So yeah. that puts us at the, you know. For any business, that's a good, that's a really good size. I mean, you really go like from 250 and then you kick up to like the, the several thousand. Yeah, that's going to yeah. be the next, uh, the next stage of growth, if you like. So that's going to present some more challenges. Um, it's I be- love them though. It's growth. I had um, I, was, I was chatting to an investor last week, and they were like, you know, you've been here twelve years, looking at the same sort of set of four walls. You know, what keeps it interesting? But we've evolved so much from the point at which there was sort of three of us in a small office to the point of which there's sixty-five, and now that you know the two hundred odd, every every step presents different challenges. Really, you start from scratch. You start to learn again. Um, you need to invest in both your team and yourself to to understand what you now need to do differently based on the fact that the organization looks very different to how it did six months ago. So it's kept it fresh, which you know keeps it interesting. It's all, if I'm not growing and I'm not learning, I'm not happy. I've always yeah. got to be moving. It's, that's where you become stale. And at that point, you know, I'd either look to leave or I'd be looking for a potentially different role in the same organization. But I think if you don't get up in the morning and want to come to work, that's going to start to show either to, you know, in the quality of work that you're delivering or to the rest of your team, you know, you're not going to be able to hide that. You can't hide it. 100%. So when you went from three to 65, when you got acquired, uh, did they let you operate pretty much the same way? It's just uh, acquisition with a business relationship or did it entirely change in the office move? Like how did that go? Um, we're still going through that process, but they've, they've largely, left us be to an extent so that we were we were purchased because the technology was complementary you know so yeah. we had um some interest from the likes of the us where it was purely a technology play that have ripped the technology that have you know taken it over to the us there was others where um where you know the technology was of interest but so was the customer in the order book so then again that would have been a different type of acquisition but this one's been really complementary so in terms of the tech team and the delivery side of the business you know they've brought it for a good reason it was working well we had some good technology that had just been um just been uh, included on the forester wave for loco platforms and the the gartner magic quadrant so i think they were conscious that they're doing something right you know and it's not just us that think that it's the industry analysts so let's not go in there and be a bit too heavy-handed i'm sure there'll be you know some positive influence that they can bring and, and that's we're seeing that already you know they've got some brilliant technical guys themselves certainly in the telephony space and that's something that we can now look to embed within the platform so um, i think it's very much a, a, a joint working relationship or at least it has been to now so fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> so you, we've been there 12 years so this is one of your first acquisitions were you heavily involved what sort of advice would you give younger ctos that haven't been through an acquisition about going through that? Um, be honest, first and foremost, because you'll soon, soon get found out, you know, post acquisition, if that isn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, that's almost a given you'd hope. Um, I think it's just a case of laying your cards on the table. You know, they're, they're obviously interested in acquiring you for a good reason. So they'll have done a level of due diligence before they approach you. And thereafter, you know, tell them what you do they might have some valuable input in, in the way in which things could be done better. Um, you know, they'll have, you would imagine some experience in the space or some similar technology and, and technologists within their business. Um, you know, I would imagine it'd be relatively rare that you're being brought and the organization has no understanding of what you're doing or how you do it. Cause that presents huge risk for them in terms of the acquisition itself. So, you know, leverage what they can bring to the table. Don't, um, don't see it as negative if they have comments about the way in which you approach things, the methodologies that you use, the technology stack that you've implemented. You know, take that kind of criticism as constructive, break it down, understand it, and see if you can learn from it. Nice. And they have a CTO, official CTO title too? They do, yeah. You get along with them? I do. Uh, yeah, good guy. His name's Richard as well. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's um, 
less around the technology, more around sort of emerging technology. So he's not sort of responsible for the roadmap in the way that I am of, of the, the Netcore product stack, but he does a huge amount of work with uh, market analysts. He uh, investigates sort of bleeding edge technologies that we might be able to embed into our product sets. So he's that, that sort of investigative CTO. Um, and he's a, a hugely valuable resource. So if we've got anything that gets thrown at us um, in terms of um, the sales process, then he can go away and, and spend the time and understand it, investigate it, and come back with the answer that hopefully, you know, hopefully allows us to proceed. So, um, yeah, very complementary roles up to now, which has been great. That's awesome. So you have a little bit of the product architect still going on in your role? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's awesome. You you enjoy that? Yeah, I'm. I'm I definitely see myself as a, a technical CTO. So you know, a, an element of product ownership, you know, retains with me. So I've got a, a product manager, and a, and he manages the the product team. Um, but it's quite a collaborative process. So we'll, you know, we'll arrange meetings with sales, with marketing, with our delivery teams, um, and say, well, you know, what is it you here that the platform needs you know what, what do you think it needs and then we'll combine that with you know, the market analysis that Richard might do um, with um, you know, customers that we invite in that you know really understand the space because you know they've got as good an idea of what they might need this for in the business as we do and if we can play to that then you'd hope our chances of retaining them or growing those accounts are going to increase as a result. That's awesome I love it and I it's really interesting because I'll get people that write questions to the show all the time and they'll often ask me like, what's exactly right? Like at this stage. And there's some rules of thumb. Like when you're at the stage of 65, you shouldn't be writing code six hours a day. <laughs> right? Like that's pretty clear, but what's not clear is like, or the, the trend, I mean, in the past year, I've spoken to 120 CTOs from startups to Intel to VMware, T-Mobile, like so 50, 60, 100,000 employees down to somebody in their garage with their friend making a technology with a CTO label, right? And so I've been, I take lots of notes and uh, really pay attention to the trends. And what I found is when you get to that upper tier, uh, you know, once you get teams of teams, right, and you really start growing, 65 tends to be like a real uh, good growth stage where uh, you're figuring out teams of teams really well. And then I see at the two, when they get up in the two hundreds, they've already figured out teams of teams. Yeah. And from there you can go as far as you need to go. And what they, if you have a good culture, right? <laughs> Sorry, if you have good culture, but when you, when you get up there, I noticed that the CTOs will kind of pick, some of them will pick different stuff that they like. Like, for example, you said, Richard, does some market analysis, like product analysis of looking out for the future. Obviously you do that to some degree, right? Like we just do it. But what I've found is that the CTOs, when they get up to that level where they get to pick anything and they realize they can pick anything, they always pull a little bit like of something they, they love from before. So I'll see CTOs that have thousands of employees and they still get like a little product architecty, you know? because they just really enjoy that process and they may have an, like a higher, like a senior research person. Whereas the other way you could hire a senior architect and spend a little more time on research. So you just, you hire the, the skills with experts that you know need to be done, but you don't have the time to do them. It's, it's the time thing, isn't it? You know, there's a CTO role is multifaceted. There's so much to do. You can't do everything yourself. Right. And, and the trick of a good manager, hiring people in that are better at things than you are. Now that's not to say you still can't contribute and maybe do a little bit of development or do a little bit of research, but there's no way, you know, my nine to five, that's never nine to five anyway, <laughs> on any one part of the role. You know, I, I, you need a team to back you up to maybe take the thought that you've had and go away and do the in-depth research you just never get round to doing. Um, and I think one of the benefits of the acquisition has been we've got a much wider group of people now that we can leverage that are subject matter experts in very specific things. And where required, we can go and bring that into our team for, for the length of time it's required, leverage it, and then move on. That's, yeah. You're smart. I like you, Richard. When I'm out <laughs> there, we're going to hang out, man, because I go out there every once in a while and, uh, 
there's a lot of I noticed so coming up for technology where you're at it's like there is a lot coming like I hear about your area as much as I do Boston or New York or San Francisco yeah London London's got a huge tech culture I mean we've, we've got a big blockchain event the next week week after next and it's like 3,000 people there's um, I saw your Twitter yeah they're, they're, I mean there is there's events you could go to every week in and around London alone and then that's before you reach out to Manchester and Birmingham places like that they're all trying to establish themselves as tech hubs because you know, it brings it brings jobs it brings growth to an area so they're doing it for a good reason um, yeah like so London, I mean, there's there's events I can attend every week without a shadow of a doubt. Again, it's just picking the ones that are going to add value that I feel I need to attend versus ones that we can push the team to attend. I mean, that's something we try to do, um, whether it's the system administrators or even the developers themselves, we'll push them to try and attend some industry events. You know, not, not all the time. They've obviously got their day job to do, but as part of their own growth um, you know attending those kind of things broadening their horizons is is great for their own personal development so we're, we, we do our best to try and get as many of those kind of events in the calendar as possible that's awesome this is a good a good topic that you mentioned about the growth a recurring theme i've been discussing with ctos is how do you identify and grow the leaders because right now you're in a or you've, you've just gone through a growth phase. You said you, you went from three to 65, right? So as people came on, when you start to hit that 20 and then you get a little direct, couple direct reports and then you hit that 40 and then your direct reports have direct reports and stuff like that. Uh, what were you looking for? And then how did you pay attention to the people that needed to move into leadership positions versus the people that were really good at what they did and you, you kept them there and instead you put someone else into leadership like what were you looking for in that transition i think you know you can be you can have two people very good at their jobs um and you can teach technology you can put them on courses you can increase the skill set i think training somebody to be a people person that can manage a team is not impossible i think it's a skill you've either got or you haven't you know there, there are obviously training courses for team leadership and things like that but I think if you're really a people person, then that will come through in, in your day to day. And, you know, most of the individuals that have grown with the business that are now heading up teams of themselves, they're, you know, they're, they're people, people, people. You, you can have conversations with them. You can take them into customer meetings. They're just, they're confident. And that's a, that's a, that's a hard trait to find in technical people. You know, we, we've all seen the jokes about nerds and <laughs> you can't send out to customer meetings and you know to an extent it's true and there'll be developers upstairs that just you know are not willing to go to customer meetings you know that isn't what they want to do and why force someone to do something they're not good at you know so if you have both the the, the strong technical background but then couple that with some business acumen and the ability to uh, communicate and, and manage and lead people then typically you rise to the top anyway. I think it's pretty obvious who those individuals are within your organization. So when you have a team of like, let's say five technical people, and maybe you're just looking for the leader of those technical people. Like I know that I transitioned, I was very quiet and very technical. And then I slowly just got a little more open and I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And then I did a little bit more and that, and I, I, I had this trajectory where I emerged as a leader and it and I was it was up to me to figure out how to I scienced it man and like I figured it out I was like oh okay well if I pay attention to somebody and listen to them then they like me you know and then I I, I started learning and resourcing myself with these you know, just keeping stuff around it's like uh, it's no different than if I'm trying to become better at programming I keep like a programming book around yeah. Right. So I, I, I agree that I know, I know what you're talking about where you like, there are some people that I don't care what you did. You could try to put them in a room and brainwash them. They're not a leader. Right. But I do believe that there's, um, and, and I guess I have a perspective because of the people that reach out to the show because they listen to this for technology leadership. So there's a lot of people in transition that are like, 
I'm, I'm, they look for a piece of content, they find technology leadership, they hear me talking with CTOs about how they're leaders and how they handle different situations. And then they write me and, and say, oh, this is great. I heard so-and-so give the suggestion about how to, how to deal with this. And then I tried it and it worked. So I, I don't, I think the, the, one of the problems was like the, 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 the generic leadership content, like the generic leadership training and stuff. I just think it's like, doesn't apply to, to the technology people. No, I'd agree. I mean, like I say, you can, you can put people on courses, but I don't think you can make someone a people person. And it's, oh, no. it's not even a skill that everyone needs or everyone wants, you know, wants right. to have, you know, they're, 10 years ago, having management in your title was seen as an aspiration. But I just think people have moved away from that a little bit. I think they realize that a lead developer that, you know, might be working with a couple of other developers and, you know, a tester and a BA or whatever, that is probably a more valuable role than a layer of management that sits above it that's just making sure that people are in and they're filling timesheets and, you know, doing that kind of sort of generic management layer that, you can't get away from right bigger organizations you need that tiered management structure but i think maybe developers especially don't necessarily aspire to that anymore they want to be seen as a lead in their field an expert in what they do but they don't necessarily need 10 reports under them nah. to, to give them the validation of that right now i love i love it when the subject matter experts just get a little bit of the management edge and then they go really far yeah yeah so yeah. I, I like the path of mastering your craft first, like have some value you bring and then lead others to replicate you. Cause that, that's really kind of what it is. Like when you've mastered your craft at engineering and that you, by simply explaining how you think or by performing your work, uh, you get a following cause people want to know how you do it so well. I think, you know, that, that maybe is the difference between a leader and a boss. I think if you're the subject matter expert, if you're seen as you know, someone who's knowledgeable, understands their craft, is very good at what they do, and then you take on a little bit of management, I think you can lead people. Whereas I think if you're just hiring in you know, mid-level management, they're, they're just a boss. You know, they don't really maybe inspire or pull the team along with them in the way that a leader would. And we, we've always had... Um, a philosophy of you know attempting to hire within to pro provide promotion opportunities yeah. for teams, and I think that really you know inspires a team that they can see somebody has become an expert, they've understood the business, they've they've done the hard graft, and as a result, they're elevating their way through the business. I think that inspires, especially when you you know you're attempting to bring in graduates you know they want to see a career development path they don't necessarily know what they want to do at that point but if they can see that you know i can become an expert in development and then maybe i'll become a lead developer and then i could potentially head up a development team you know that really gets them going and then it motivates them and, and they're more likely to stay with you and you know, ret retaining talent is huge if you're going to grow an organization you know it's not just the cost of recruitment it's finding people which comes back to the digital skill shortage you mentioned earlier how do you communicate that path to your people? You have, you know, 65 people. How do you say this is the path and this is how you progress down the path? Um, so we have a, you know, a good HR function that um, allows us to mentor the team. You know, we will give them goals. Um, we give them access to management as much as anything. You know, I'm, I'm very much one for, you know, open plan offices all sitting in together I don't like to lock myself away and anyone at any point can come up and speak to me about pretty much anything and that's true across the business um, there really isn't the notion of you know a management floor with uh, people sat in bigger glass fronted offices you know that just doesn't exist so anyone can speak to anyone in the business the CEO the CTO will be in sat having lunch in the staff room with anyone else um, so you just start to uh, you know, discuss things, talk to people, mentor people. And if they've got problems, you can learn to address them. If they get frustrated in their role and they need some training, if they feel they're not valued or their contribution to a project wasn't properly identified, then it just comes up in conversation. And I think you can really address issues that might otherwise grow if they have access to you. So is there a way to like see it like a Google map? <laughs> like I am here, 
and I want to go here and then track it? Does the HR have like some sort of like form or something? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, understood career progression paths for everyone in the business. Now, you know, we're growing, but you know, there isn't going to be a, a head of product role for everyone in the business, clearly. So, you know, you expect that people will move on to progress their ambitions, right? And I, I have a philosophy of, in, of trying to ensure that nobody ever leaves the business um, without a handshake and a pat on the back because I'd never want to step in anyone's road. You know, if, if the developer came to me and said, there's a lead developer role, you know, just down the road, the money's a little bit better, the career progression's there, and there really just isn't that role for me in the business at the moment. And as much as I might not want to lose them and I'd almost certainly attempt to keep them, I'd still send them off with a pat on the back because you can't stand in people's way. They'll eventually, that kind of you know, policy of trying to stop people will eventually bite you in the arse, right? Because they're going to become demotivated. You're not going to get out of them what they did and they're going to leave anyway, you know, ultimately. So I think it's really important to have that kind of open relationship with the team where they can come to you and say, look, I'm, I'm struggling at the minute. I can't grow. I don't know where my next move is. And then you can work to see if maybe the path that they thought they were going to take into lead development isn't right for them, but actually, you know, a BA, a, a consultant type role, if they've got the people skills, might be another avenue and, you know, and then cross train them, you know, because if you can retain that talent, it makes it easier to retain customers because, you know, that knowledge leaving the business is a nightmare to try and replace. Yeah, it's a high turnover cost to lose that knowledge. That's that's smart, man. I, I like I like the way you think. I like how you how you work and how you operate, man. Thank you very much. Did was there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, I've um, I've been through your book, and um, there was one one sort of ca- um, chapter that particularly grabbed me: the spaghetti code MPV epidemic. Yeah, um, you know, because I think. I don't want to turn this into any kind of sales pitch for low code, but um, one of the things you can definitely do with, with low code is fail fast. Um, and whether that's, you know, on the road to producing an MVP that ultimately you then retain and keep and you can build upon, or whether it's trial and error, proof of concept, because you can fail that much faster, you can throw things away without the cost that might otherwise have been associated if you have developed it, you know, from the ground up using traditional methods. And I thought um, that that paragraph, that chapter, you know, really resonated because we have a lot of customers who come to us. They've got a great idea. They might have even tried to do it, you know, traditional development in-house, but again, maybe couldn't get the resources to do it. Um, and I think low code is another way of addressing that problem. You know, build something quickly, see if it's going to work. And then, you know, maybe you don't necessarily build it on the platform if that's not the right choice. It may be that you build your, your MVP, your proof of concept quickly on a low-code platform, but then ultimately develop it using code. You know, I'm not suggesting low-code is by any means the only solution to the problems that are out there. It's just another tool that can be used and maybe, you know, using it and, and failing quicker as a result reduces cost, time and, and effort for everyone involved. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was it took me several years to figure out that I can get the same benefit by using a prototyping tool like Envision to work out user experience and find something people would pay for before I actually wrote code. Definitely. You know, <laughs> especially when you couple you know, platforms like this with the, with the agile methodology, you know, you don't want to spend hours capturing requirement up front like you might have done if you were you know following a waterfall methodology um but clearly you know you need to know what you're building the developers need to know what they're doing and i think if you can iteratively develop quickly on a platform knowing that at the show and tell on the friday you might scrap a lot you know you've gone in the wrong direction you've misunderstood what the client told you it's still quicker to do that and to start again the following monday than it is to spend three six months writing requirements up front because technology markets are moving on so quick, by the end of that three, six month period, your competitor might have already done it. You know, you might have lost market share or, or maybe actually what you thought you wanted is no longer relevant, you know, now versus six months ago. So you've just got to be able to do things quicker, you know, and I feel really sorry for large organizations that have got to sort of digitize their processes. They've got to keep up with their competition. They've got 
new lean organizations coming into their space that are eating market share because if you're if you've got a big you know maybe somewhat bloated organization and you're still trying to get things done quickly it's incredibly hard you know and we've seen a number of our customers that have brought this in just as a way of trying to get things done that much quicker, prototype, iteratively develop, then decide, do we go ahead with this and, and you know, spin up the big machine for a big project? And maybe we still build it on low code, maybe we won't, but either way, we can find out that much quicker. And I think it's a, it's a tool that you know, every organization is going to need if they're going to they're compete. Well, BPMs to the rescue, my friend. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm going to tinker around with a couple of them because I, I'm curious to see how much they've progressed. I mean, just look at AR and how much that's progressed in the past five years. I bet you that these BPMs have gotten real great. We've got some, um, some e-learning, you know, that you, know, you can sort of set your way through. You get a trial instance of the platform all delivered via the web. If you want access to it, drop me an email. Oh, excellent. I'm making a little note right here. E-learning. <laughs> No, it's good to understand what's out there, right? You know, I spend a lot of a lot of my time, as much as I can, just investigating the latest trends. Um, you know, we've been looking into all sorts recently. I mean, mentioned it before, but blockchains, you know, seems to come up in just about every conversation with every technologist I have. Um, we're you know we're looking to understand where that fits into uh, the Maps platform and how it can be utilised to provide value. Um, so you've got a you got to keep on point right you've got to keep learning you've got to keep understanding you've got to keep researching and investigating um if you want to know a little bit about low code give me a shout and i'll, I'll set you up amazing i i will hit you up on that if you got the chance to meet elon musk would you be excited definitely <laughs> me too man I, I mean i've read his autobiography oh uh, yeah me too which you know is interesting because you go through it and you and you there's certain points you can't help but think he was a little bit lucky there. You know, he, he didn't necessarily make the right choice, but things sort of worked out for him. Um, and it gave him a huge amount of wealth. And what I probably admire about him more than anything is the way he's using that wealth. Because he's not just, it's not all fast cars and private right. jets and holidays. You know, I'm sure he has a bit of that, of course. But he's really investing that money to try and improve the world for all of us. I know that sounds a little bit corny almost, but you know. No, he, it, he's brilliant. Like he, he literally did. He is making it better for us with his wealth. He, the, the, one of the stories about, you know, he was looking at sort of battery powered cars and he was working out that the, the cost was purely, um, the, the, the cost was inhibited by the, the price of the battery. Ah, uh, so yeah. Everyone was like, you know, you just, it's just not going to work. The batteries cost too much. And he said, okay, I'm going to go and make a battery that's cheaper. And he looked at the problem from a different way. And, you know, he's going to have a, an amazing battery, you know, pr production facility over in the, I think he's got one in the US, doesn't he? And, and one somewhere else, the biggest factory in the world or something. Yeah, the, yeah the, it's like the biggest technical, it's like the biggest actual physical plant in the world. It's the battery factory, yeah. And so, you know, he's got that. He's producing batteries and he's now going to use them to deliver you know, the, the car that he saw as being the future. And then he's got space and he's got everything else, right? So I mean, the guy in terms of technology is living the dream. He can, he, can, he can find problems and he's got the money, the clout and the intelligence you know, to, to go away and to solve some problems that are really gonna benefit us all. So yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, he'd be one of my free dinner guests I'd invite around without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Well, if I ever get in that opportunity, I will like, I'll call you up and be like, I, we made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Right? His book is actually right there. It's, uh, it's like right there on one of the stacks. But yeah, I love that story that you mentioned when he looks, when he looked at it, he goes, everyone's battery is expensive. What's the price of nickel being traded at? Like, what's the price of these elements being traded at? And so we could just purchase them by the pound and put them together. And I'm, I'm like, that's all we, that's like the build by hire decisions companies make. Right. I mean, he's, he's got the ability to be bold, hasn't he? Cause of the, cause of the, the financial backing he's got. I mean, I was reading something about, I think it was last week. We, he's sent a notice around all the contractors um, at uh, SpaceX on notice unless they can convince one of his employees that they are providing value and that employee will vouch for him. Their contracts are terminated the following Monday. 
and he literally went through that process because he felt that they were becoming too bloated. They brought in too many consultants, too many contractors, and they weren't providing a level of value. So unless as a contractor you could find a full-time member of staff that was going to say, this guy is important, we need him, and I'm going to personally vouch for him, then your contract was ended. Ooh, that's brilliant. He's, he's, you know, he's got obviously the luxury of being able to, to implement policies like that, but you know, brilliant. It's going, to, it's going to keep people on their toes. Those contractors that retain their contracts are going to make sure they're delivering for them. And if your team's delivering for you, your business is going to go somewhere. Yeah. Well, it's a brilliant move on his part because that to force one human to vouch for another when you're full-time yeah. for the organization, like there will be people who will be like, man, I just can't do it. Yeah. And that will cut his bloat and that will lean up his company and give them more money to hire better people. It's like, it's like, you know, if you're a contractor and you're doing a, a nine to five, you're leaving on time and you're leaving a, a paid employee in the office. Why is that paid employee going to turn around having put the extra hours in to try and drive the business forward and say, yeah, keep that guy on his, you know, his inflated salary so that he can do his nine to five and leave me working in the office. No, thanks. <sighs> you know, otherwise stick around, back me up work with me if you want your you know if you want your contract today right you've got to earn it i think yeah. it's a great policy yeah and the worst case scenario is the people that or the contractors that were on the fence are going to step it up hard you yeah. know yeah you know, which is he's, he's hoping for right he probably doesn't want to lose them he just right. wants to lose the ones that aren't contributing so those ones that maybe had got a bit sluggish they've been there a while they were coming a bit comfortable they're going to go back to the a game they're going to raise it again to make sure that they're retained Oh. Yeah, I really like that. It's, it's policies like that. You can really see his personality coming out in the way that he runs a business. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be, it would be great to meet him. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see him talk, actually, if, um, at some kind of event. I'll have to try and get that at some point. I don't think he does too many of sort of those kind of events where he's talking. Certainly not that I've heard of, but I think they'd be really inspiring. That's awesome. I, I always try to get like close to people, so like figure out how far away I am. So I'm like, I'm two degrees away from Musk right now. <laughs> so my brother's a doctor and one of my brother's patients is his friend. It's close enough, close enough. Like, yeah, he's, he's on a board of one of their companies, but you know, before we wrap up, I've got to know this. Um, how, how many, like, are you an hour from London? Um, a little bit less, about 40 minutes on the train. Okay, because I, I frequently travel around. So when I'm in London, we'll... we'll um, We'll get together. Do you know Peter Cooper? Peter Cooper. Yeah, he has this. He has the largest developer newsletter in the world. It's called Cooper Press. It's like Ruby Weekly, JavaScript Weekly, basically all the frameworks with the word weekly. And he's got half a million engineers on there. And wow. yeah, it's. I know. I'll uh, I'll look into it. Yeah, and he runs conferences, and so I've got together like I think about eight really large technology influencers and contributors in London. And so I was looking at my calendar, figuring out what time of like when in the next six months I want to go there and get everyone together, hang out, uh, stop by people's offices, do high five, say hello, because it's really cool to like hang out and talk with you. And then the people I really like, I go say hi in person. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. Let me know when you're over. I mean, yeah. I'm down in London all the time. We've got a number of customers there. Um, and like I say, a lot of events. So yeah, if you're ever over, it'd be great to, to meet up, have a chat and have a beer. Awesome. Yeah. Elon Musk calls you up. He's got a time machine. He hasn't shown it to anybody yet. He hasn't yeah. shown it to anybody yet. He invites you over to his house and you get to go in the time machine and go back 10 years ago and talk to yourself. What piece of advice would you give yourself? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> oh wow that's uh that's completely stumped me what, would, what advice would i give myself i mean just to keep going i mean I, I look back at the career that i've had and i think i'm quite fortunate that i don't believe I've, I've made many wrong turns so i think it's um trust your gut trust your gut feel there's been a few times where uh, certainly the previous uh, company that i could have left i had other opportunities i had a uh, someone approached me about doing some contracting on a very good day rate and I thought do I just take the money it was relatively short term but I thought well, now I'm going to stick this out and it was a 
at that organization that I became a head of development for the first time. And if I hadn't have become a head of development there, I probably wouldn't have picked up the job that I've got here. And then, you know, everything leads to, to where I am now. So um, I'd, I'd like to think I've been relatively lucky. So the advice I'd need to give myself is pretty much just to, to keep walking down the path that I was on. Love it. Little persistence, hard yeah. work, and then growth, man. You can't really go wrong if you're always growing and learning. Like if you decide that no matter what mistakes I've made in the past, today I'm just going to start growing and learning every single day, like the, the, you end up in a better place. Without a doubt, I mean, uh, I, you know, growth's hard. It's, it's hard to find the time to read all the books you want to read, to attend all the conferences you want to go to. Um, but I think if you can do a little bit every day, then over a course, you know, over the period of time, that's going to add up and it's going to increase your, your understanding and, um, and, and your abilities overall. So I think it's all about just doing a little bit a day, whether it's um, working with the team, whether it's reading a book, whether it's uh, attending an online conference. I do a lot of online conferences at the moment because finding the time to go to London for an event that might be three or four hours, but that you take the travel and everything else out of your diary is difficult. But just to dial into one of these online WebExes that just gives you an hour on a subject just to start, you know, increasing your understanding of it. Um, I, I, that's, you know, at a minimum, I like to take in at least one or two of those a week um, just to ensure that I'm continually evolving. Do you have a platform? Uh, Bright Talk. I mean, there's, there's, there's a, I'm just signed up to a huge amount of newsletters for um, subject matters that I'm interested in. And then they tend to find you. Um, anything that allows me to sign up and to deliver for me content in terms of subjects I'm interested in, I tend to sign up to and then just pick and choose. I tend to have, you know, maybe 10 presentations, WebExes, that kind of thing in my diary a week. And then I just pick and choose the ones that I can actually attend based on commitments I've got for the business. Um, and the ones that I can't, they tend to then publish them as videos after anyway. So you can then just pick that up and you know, go to the gym, get yourself on a treadmill and just listen to it while you're running, you know, try and uh, you know, make the most of the time that you've got so that it's, um, like I say, it continues your education. Richard, this has been a fantastic podcast, dude. I, I really enjoyed this, man. It's, it's really cool hanging out with you. Yeah, good. Thank you very much. Great. And keep in touch. Like I say, if you want um, access to any of our e-learning, just have a play to understand it yourself. And definitely if you're over in the UK, Give yeah. Definitely hook up and go for a beer. Awesome, man. You have a fantastic day. Enjoy your evening and we'll talk soon, buddy. Nice one. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.